Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Tryon. I'm Jeff Harris. I'm the pastor here at First Baptist, and I'm grateful for you joining us today. I must say, podcast might be a bit of a stretch because really this is our weekly sermon, and I'm grateful that you've taken the time to listen to this week's sermon. I will give one word of warning, though, especially to those of you who are driving. Sermons um, from time to time tend to put people to sleep, so if you're driving, be real careful. We don't want you to fall asleep, because we'd love to have you tune in next week. (laughs) I hope you enjoy this week's sermon, although enjoy is really not the intended outcome of a sermon, but I am grateful that you took the time to listen, and I hope you have a great week. I'll catch you next week. The peace of Christ be with you. We welcome you to First Baptist Church. We're grateful that you are here, whether it is in person or whether you're joining us on Zoom or on YouTube Live. We are grateful that we can be together to worship in these ways. If you are a guest with us here in the sanctuary, if this is your first time with us, we ask that you fill out a welcome card. It's in the pew pocket just in front of you. And then if you would place it in the offering plate later in service, then we, then we will know that you have been with us. I sent out an email this morning updating you on our, uh, the COVID numbers. Unfortunately, they, they've gone back up this week, and so we will not begin in-person Sunday school next Sunday. Uh, if the numbers had stayed down below that high transmission, we were going to start next Sunday. So we'll continue to watch those numbers, and uh, many of you, as am I, are certainly ready for that and looking forward to that. Um, Also, I will say this, though, those numbers have gone down pretty significantly from their high point, so that is something to celebrate, and I think one way we can celebrate that in worship today is that we'll begin to sing again. Uh, Instead of you just having to look at the words or follow along when we're having hymns, let's stand up and and sing those hymns together. So may we now ready ourselves for the worship of God. In the midst of struggle and strife, God is with us. Thanks be to God for God's steadfast presence. Even though many things in life hurt and disappoint us, God is with us. We seek God's mercy and grace to heal our wounded souls. Come. Bring yourself to God, for God will hear your cries and will restore your souls. Praise be to God, our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer.
Let us pray. O oh God, our guide and guardian, you have led us apart from the busy world into the quiet of your house. Grant us grace to worship you in spirit and in truth to the comfort of our souls and the upbuilding of every good purpose and holy desire. Enable us to do more perfectly the work to which you have called us, that we may not fear the coming of night when we shall resign into your hands the tasks which you have committed to us. So may we worship you not with our lips at this hour, but in word and deed all the days of our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. part sermon series from Job and if you've looked through your bulletin you may notice that the responsive reading actually comes after the first scripture reading in, in the book of Job where first scripture reading this morning is from Job 2 but I wanted us to read this responsively so that you could really hear and read for yourself this poetic lament of Job and know that this comes after all the calamity 
lost everything. And here he sits. His friends come and they sit in silence with him for seven days. And then this is how Job breaks that silence. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Job said, Let the day perish in which I was born, and the night that said, A man child is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it or light shine on it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds settle upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Yes. yes. Let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry be heard in Let those curse it who curse the sea, those who are skilled to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its song be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none. May it not see how it is. Because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb and hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth, come forth from the womb and expire? Why is light given to one in misery and life to the bitter in soul? Who long for death, but it does not come, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures? Who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave. Why is light given to one who cannot see away, whom God has sent in? For my sighing comes like bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. Truly, the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. I really think the reason that Jeff didn't want to read Job 2 because of the pronunciation of the words. <laughs> now when Job's three friends heard of these troubles that had come upon him, each of them set out from his home. Eliphaz the Terminite, Bilibid the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namamite. They met together to go and console and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept loudly. They tore their robes and threw dust in the air upon their heads. They sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. This is the word of the Lord.
vessels keep me from all Let it be. 
Our second reading this morning is from Job 23, verses 1 through 9 and 16 and 17. Then Job answered, Today also my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy, despite my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his dwelling. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, but he would give heed to me. There an upright person could reason with him, and I should be acquitted forever by my judge. If I go forward, he is not there, or backward, I cannot perceive him. On the left, he hides, and I cannot behold him. I turn to the right, but I cannot see him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. If only I could vanish in darkness, and thick darkness would cover my face. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is the second sermon on Job, and in some ways, this sermon is about Job's friends. In fact, you could say there are really three main characters in the book of Job. There's Job, then there's Job's friends, and then God. Those are really the three main characters, in a way. But when you're reading scripture, you should always remember that there's a very good chance that there's actually only one main character. That all the other characters are supporting roles. And this is especially true in Job because the main character in Job is God. That is ultimately what this book is about. Who is God? You may remember last week that I said you could sum up Job in one word, and that word is why. Why? And then you could add a few words to that. Why do bad things happen? And in Job's case, you could add a few more words to that. Why do bad things happen to good people? And that is an important question, and that is part of Job. But the truth is, when you explore the why, you will eventually learn that actually who is an even more important, more important question in Job? Who? Yes, why is important, but that's not really the main question. The main question is actually, so that's the fun thing about being the preacher. You can just change that up every week, by the way, right? One week you say this is the most important question. The next week you say this is. But, but, but really, I think the most important question is who? Who is God. That is the question behind the questions. That is the question that, that Job ultimately deals with. That's the intent. 
And that's why I think it's important again to remind you that you should probably think of Job more as a parable than as a historical account. And why would I say that? Because I think that's the author's intent. I think that's how it was originally written, how it was originally heard. It's an extended parable about who is God. And yes, Job's friends play a part in this story. So I'll start with them. They sit in silence with Job for seven days. Seven days, silence. That's about seven seconds of silence there, and that was probably uncomfortable for you. You were waiting. What's Jeff going to say? What's he doing? Is he, is he lost? What's he going to do? It's hard enough for us to sit in silence for seven seconds, let alone seven days. Seven days. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they have heard about this calamity that has struck Job, and they come to comfort him. But when they see him, they don't even really recognize him. He's been so transformed by this thing, they're not even sure that it's really him. And the text clearly says they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was great. Now, I'm getting ready to dunk on Job's friends for quite a while, so I'm going to praise them right now because they deserve to be praised. They were quiet for seven days. They didn't say all of those unhelpful things that we often say during times of tragedy. And what a gift that was to Job. Now, the truth is, we usually don't know what to say. <laughs> and I've always been told that if you don't really know what to say, maybe you just probably shouldn't say anything. <laughs> I think there might be a little truth in that. If you don't know what to say, maybe you shouldn't just not say anything. But the truth is, we are really uncomfortable with silence. And so we can't handle it, and we just chatter on about this and chatter on about that. But not these friends of his. They come and they sit with him. Which is the most important thing you can do. To be present. When suffering occurs, the most important thing you can do is to be present. I don't even say anything. They're just there. This is, this is one of the places in the Old Testament where we see this Jewish idea begin to form of sitting Shiva, where you come and you sit for seven days with those who have gone through grief and loss, and usually the seventh days don't count until the deceased has been buried. 
So there's probably a few days ahead of that, right? And then after the burial, you come and you sit for seven days. Can you imagine? I mean, that's not usually how we pull it off, is it? Let's just get back to, you know, we've got to find something to be busy with, and sometimes that is helpful to occupy ourselves, right, to find some routine and get back to it. But there is something to this sitting Shiva, this being quiet, because something terrible has happened, and we're going to just mourn. And it's okay to mourn and to grieve and to be broken. So hear me say it loud and clear, good job, Job's friends. You did fantastic. Until, <laughs> until. And, and Job, he breaks these seven days of silence with that lament that we read as the responsive reading. It's haunting. And it is okay, by the way. I mean, it is okay to lament. It's all over Scripture. There's even this book called Lamentations. I mean, it is okay to lament. It's one of the most honest things that you can do, and guess what? God can handle it. God can handle your anger. God can handle your fear, your mourning, your loss, your suffering. God can handle it. But most of us can't to be quite honest. It makes us uncomfortable. And if you start questioning things and if you start questioning God, then most of us, especially we preachers sometimes, we can be really bad at it, we have to come out and defend God. And the truth is when people are lamenting, they're lamenting. They're asking questions, yes, right, but they're really laments. They're not really looking for an answer. But if you don't watch it, especially we ministers, we hear a question about God and we'll, oh, let me, oh, I know something about that. I can give you an answer for that. Well, Job's friends, they couldn't take it anymore. Job, Job opens up this lament and, and, and his friends try to explain to him why these things have happened. Eliphaz says it this way. He says, think now, think now, Job, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, which he really means as we have seen, Job, just look around, right? Those who plow iniquity and sow trouble, they will reap the same. And from chapter 4 through 37, you have this back and forth between Job and his friends. They say, Job, you did something to deserve this. You know you did. Come on now. You know you did. You can't go from a hero to zero for nothing. You know you brought this on yourself. What did you do, huh? And Job says, I didn't do anything. Yes, you did. But I didn't. Job's friends have this transactional theology. Deuteronomistic theology. From Deuteronomy through 2 Kings, this is very, very clear. It's very clear in much of the Bible, in fact. That's where they get it from. 
We are quite familiar with this transactional theology, and it goes just like this. If you do good, God will bless you. If you do bad, God will curse you. There's a lot of that theology in Scripture. Job's friends are saying, you know this is true. You had to do something. Otherwise, this bad stuff wouldn't have happened to you. And Job says, but I didn't do anything. And he didn't. He didn't because we have the 30,000-foot view of the parable, right? We get to see what goes on in the divine council. The reason that all this calamity came to Job was because he hadn't done anything. Now, we may not run around saying those kinds of things when bad things happen to people, right? Oftentimes, we at least know not to say that. But I'll bet money you've said it because I've said it and we've probably all said it multiple times. I think God's trying to get his attention, don't you think? I mean, wouldn't you know? That's how we say that a lot. Well, I think maybe God's trying to get our attention. We often do it when we hear a sermon and we say, Boy, you know who really needed to hear that? Oh, I tell you who really needed to hear that sermon, you know? Anyway, it's kind of the, that's kind of the mindset that we operate out of. Even if we don't really think we have that kind of transactional theology, I think most of the time we do. Because if everything is going okay in my life, then in many ways, whether we say it out loud or even acknowledge it in a conscious way, I think we think, then we must be okay. If everything's going okay, we must be okay. And when things begin to go wrong, I think the natural inclination is to think, well, what have I done? What's happened? But, but actually, it's easier to poke holes in the transactional theology from the positive side because, truthfully, I think that's where we like to focus on that, right? Like, if I'm, if I'm doing well, then I must be, you know, doing pretty well, doing good things. And so on this blessing side is where I think you can most easily see our transactional theology and where you can most easily poke a hole in it. Because most of the time, we think that, even though we don't say this part out loud, really, when we say somebody's really blessed, oftentimes we mean, well, you know, they don't have a whole lot of debt, and they drive a pretty nice car, and they have a pretty nice house, and they have a pretty good job. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things, right? And when you get those things in your life, you feel pretty good about them, and I'm pretty excited about them, and you probably work pretty hard to get some of those things. And so we feel pretty blessed. We must be doing okay here. But here's the thing. If you look at some of the richest people in the world, let me ask you a question. Do you really think that their blessings are a result of them doing good? I know this guy. He, he's not from around here. He's back from where I grew up. And he made a rather large sum of money precisely because he took advantage of poor people. That's why he made all of his money. He didn't call himself a payday lender, but that's exactly what he was. He was a payday lender. Now, 
I, I get that if you're making loans to very risky people, um, that's a lot of risk on your side, and you might want to somehow, you know, hedge that risk a little bit. But he loaned pe money to people in such a way that they were doomed to stay in financial despair. It was a debt trap. It was a kind of loan that was never going to get you out of a hole. It was just going to dig a big, deeper hole. And he made a lot of money doing this. Or to say it a different way, he was really blessed. But his blessings weren't the result of virtue. His blessings were the result of sin. He was ripping people off. And that's the thing about transactional theology. It'll break down real quickly if you actually start to examine it. But Job's friends, well, they didn't quite want to imagine a scenario in which Job didn't deserve his suffering. Because to imagine such a scenario means you have to give up some control. Because actually, if you know that if you do good, then you'll be blessed, and if you do bad, then you'll be cursed, that gives you a whole lot of control, doesn't it? That gives you a lot of power. That might even make you God if you know you can do this and get that. And so they go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then in one of the most profound passages of scripture in the whole Bible. You go all the way over to verse to, to chapter 42 and you get a ruling from God. And here's what God says. Job is right. His friends are wrong. That's what God says. God fully vindicates Job. Not his friends. My wrath is kindled against Eliphaz and against your two friends, for none of you have spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you, and I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has done. That ought to knock your socks off when you read that. Because God isn't a transactional God. That's not how the world works. All of that stuff makes sense in some way, right? But it's just too simplistic. Life doesn't really work that way. But more importantly, that's not who God is. That's the whole point of Job. God is not transactional. God is the one who acts. And God acts out of love and mercy and grace even to us. In spite of all the things that we do wrong. God is not a transactional God. 
Amen. Let's take a moment as we begin to pray to be still and silent, to listen for that voice, the voice that we long to hear.
Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful for friends, for fellow believers, fellow travelers on this journey who will be with us when life is hard. We are so grateful to have such people in our lives. Those who won't try to answer all of our questions, but those who will listen. Those who will commiserate with us. Because through friends like these, O oh Lord, we know you. Because you, we know that you hear our cries. You hear our screams. You hear all of the brokenness and hurt and disappointment that we carry. And we know that we do not have to go it alone, that you are with us. We know that you are not some transactional God. We know that you are actually faithful. Because we know we're not. We're not faithful. We could never hold up our end of the bargain, O oh Lord. And the good news is you have held up both ends of the bargain. You love us. You love us in ways that transform us. You love us in ways that renew us. You love us in ways that enliven us. That bring us back from the brink. Help us to love in such ways, O oh Lord. Help us to be the kind of friends that reflect you. Help us to be shoulders that people can lean on. Because none of us can, none of us can do this all on our own, Lord. We are not truly self-sufficient. We need each other. We need you. We pray, O oh Lord, that your hope and your healing and your peace would be with all of us, would be with this whole broken world. And we pray especially that your hope and your healing and your peace would be with the ones that we name aloud. If you're here in the sanctuary, I invite you to name 
allowed those who need God's healing and hope and peace. Ray Joy. Wilson. Carrie Benedict. Family of Clayton Sane. Jackson. Jane Ogle. And those of you joining us on Zoom, feel free now to unmute yourself and offer aloud those who need God's healing and hope and peace. And now may we pray in the way and through the one who has taught us to have hope and healing and peace. Let us all now join our voices together. If you're at home, please unmute yourself and we will pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the, power and, and the glory forever. Forever. Amen. Our hymn of response and our hymn of going forth or sending forth is hymn 272. It's all stand.
things that impressed Mary and I when we first moved uh, to Polk County about First Baptist Church of Trine was how often we saw our church congregation and its members all over our community doing service projects and uh, it seemed like they were everywhere either on a formal project or on their own just helping people and you know the community sees that and they see us doing what churches are supposed to do. So I think that's one of the things that made it really difficult over the last few years with COVID and um, you know, the, uh, the fact that we would know people were needing things, but we really couldn't help them due to social distancing and things like that. So this coming Saturday, October 23rd, we're offering an opportunity to return a little bit to some normalcy through our Grace It Forward projects. Um, for those of you who are not um, already been informed on this, we have five good projects this year, and I'm up here to solicit some more folks to volunteer for a few of those projects. We have a couple of projects where I think we have enough people already. One of those is delivering gift baskets to uh, first responders and essential workers, and another one is passing out coins at the laundromat. Um, I think we've got plenty of folks for those. Uh, a third project we have is at the um, Thermal Belt Outreach Ministry, and we'll be stacking up firewood, and we'll be planting some trees and probably some grass on that site. Um, I think we've got enough folks, but we could always use, if someone really wanted to get their hands dirty, then uh, we can take some more folks. If, if we have too many people, one of the perks of that job is you get to stand behind uh, Keith Collins and Joe Kova while they stack firewood and whistle hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. Um, so that sounds really entertaining. Um, and the two projects, however, that we really need some volunteers for, one of them is delivering meals to families in need. And I think we have 15 families. And you know, we need to have at least two people per delivery um, as we go out for safety and security reasons. So we could really use some folks to either ride along or drive to deliver those meals. So that's one project that we really need help on. The other one that we really need help on is at Stern's GM in Columbus. Um, we're uh, painting bleachers and doing some, I think, minor landscaping stuff. That's another one that we really, really do need, need help on this year and we've only got a couple of people signed up for that and um, so I would just ask that you prayerfully consider as you go through the lobby leaving that um, you look at those two projects in particularly if you can't do or not available next Saturday we certainly ask that you pray for those of us um, who are working on those projects and for the people that we're serving in our community you know, doing grace at Ford is just a great way to remind ourselves that we're all children of God. Uh, one last thing Jody did want me to mention that if you are participating in the Passing Out Coins project, that we do have the coins available uh, that you can pick up if you've signed up for that. 
um, not just everybody go pick up coins. But um, the, uh, if you've signed up for that, those are available in the um, gathering space out here. And if you can't, if you're not here today, if you're in TV land, uh, you can come by anytime. I think and pick those up this week. <coughs> I think that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Lane, for that good word. And if you have any questions. Uh, Jody will be out at the table in the lobby. Uh, as Lane said, you can feel free to ask questions to her. Um, she might have an answer for you. I'll probably just make something up. She probably would actually point you in the right direction. So uh, feel free to, to let her know. Also, another opportunity of some normalcy uh, is on November the 7th, we're going to have a cookout uh, in the church parking lot here from 4 to 6 p.m., we had some nice trivia events this summer where we did trivia and dessert. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I, I really want something savory instead of something sweet, and I need like a real meal instead of just dessert. So here's a great way to come and enjoy each other. Bring a chair. We'll have some tables set up. We'll, we'll do this outside, and we can be pretty normal, and we'll have some fun games that are happening all along, but we'll let you know a few more of the details as we get a little closer, but save that date of November 7th from 4 to 6 p.m. here in the church parking lot. It has been good to, to worship with you this morning, and I do look forward to all the ways in which uh, you'll be serving this week uh, with Grace at Forward. Let us stand now for the benediction. May you go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And as you go, remember who you are. You are disciples of Jesus, our Lord and our brother. Children of Almighty God, bound together as brothers and sisters through the Spirit. You are the very body of Christ. So may you serve the Lord with gladness all your days. Amen. Go in peace.